This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The holiday season's in full swing. Maybe some of you traveled to see family last week, or you spent time with friends at a Friendsgiving dinner. But for some, the holidays are a time when they're reminded of the people who aren't here to celebrate anymore. And that's hard. The empty chair at dinner or the gift that's not under the tree. And that grief can feel drowning and even impact our health. And our next guest knows all about that. Mary Frances O'Connor is the author of The Grieving Brain and is an associate professor of psychology at the University of Arizona. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor O'Connor. Thank you so much for having me, Sasha. First, who are you remembering this holiday season? You know, we always remember, I think, the people we celebrated with a lot. So my mother, who passed away when I was 26, and then my father passed away about seven years ago. And, um, you know, many of my traditions remind me of them. And even just the time of year reminds me of things we did together. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, you lost your mother at... uh... 26, right? And that was after she was diagnosed with breast cancer when you were a teenager. And as you mentioned, your dad years later, were those experiences reasons enough for you to pursue research in grief? There's so many reasons probably that I have chosen to try and understand grief and grieving over, oh my gosh, more than 20 years now. Um, And I think that Part of it was, you know, my mom was sick for such a long time, about 13 years. And, you know, as a as a teenager, you don't really understand what that means. But I knew that grief was part of our household. And I think it meant that I just felt more comfortable with people who were grieving. You know, it doesn't bother me if you cry uncontrollably. And so it made it so that I could do interviews, you know, with people who would come into the lab. I would do neuroimaging studies or take blood draws. And it was easier for me to believe, I think, what they were going through and then to just try and understand how might the brain be involved in that response that we have, that suffering we feel. Thanksgiving just passed, right? And more holiday celebrations, Mm -hmm. those are on the way. Are we seeing more people experience grief during this period? You know, it's fascinating. There's actually empirical research on this. So in a very large study, over 1,500 people, they looked to see in different months of the year when people were experiencing the most grief. And I think it makes us all feel a little bit more normal that the most grief happens at that end of the year. And then something we don't often think about In January, actually, the loneliness that follows for people who are bereaved, the bustle of the holidays sometimes can distract us. Uh, And then sometimes January, it really sets in. So when when someone experiences grief, what's happening physiologically in, in the body and in their brain? You know, I think that we forget that grief is really stressful for the body. Grief isn't just an emotion, it's a physiological response as well. And it's no different in the brain. So when we fall in love, whenever we're in a bonded relationship, whether that's falling in love with your baby or falling in love with your spouse, it changes the brain. It physically changes the epigenetics of your brain, the way the proteins are folded in your brain. And so what that means is, As soon as you have separation that 
When you lose a person with whom you're bonded, you lose a part of yourself, but it also means that the brain has to understand what has happened. How does this, how does my life make any sense now? And so there's a lot of processes going on in the brain, many of which aren't even conscious, where the brain is trying to understand, trying to predict the absence of this person instead of the presence of this person, when it really believes it should be predicting that they'll be there. Thinking more about that physiological response, right? I wonder what signs we should watch out for, whether it be in ourselves or maybe those who are around us. What's physically happening? Well, research shows that acute grief is the time of the most physiological response. And so something people may have heard of called the broken heart phenomena, that has tons of research to back it up. And that's the idea that, for example, if uh, a husband's wife dies in the next six months, he's almost twice as likely to suffer his own mortality than Mm -hmm. someone similar to him. physiologically, for many of us, our blood pressure goes up a little bit, our cortisol, the stress hormone, goes up, and that's why it's hard for us to sleep usually in acute grief, and it's hard for us to eat often. People sometimes lose a lot of weight or gain a lot of weight, and so I think that these responses are actually pretty natural. Mm-hmm. This is just the way the body reacts to that incredible stressor of losing a loved one. And so for the vast majority of us, our body is resilient. And as we come to understand what has happened, uh, the physiology sort of returns to where it was. Now, there can be longer term impacts, but that's not so typical. And usually that's for people who are experiencing kind of the most severe grief. Yeah. It's natural to feel this grief for months or even years after that loss first happens. But it sounds like some of what you just mentioned are, are some indicators that maybe this grief is becoming even more serious. Yeah. The, the difficulties in acute grief, I mean, gosh, in acute grief, For many people, it's just sort of a feeling of, I'm not going to get through this wave that I'm having. You know, I'm I'm sitting in my car in a stoplight and suddenly I'm just, you know, dissolved in tears. But I think it's really helpful. I talk about this in the book, making the distinction between grief and grieving. So grief is that moment, right? It's that moment in the car or just being completely overwhelmed with, with the awareness that this person who should be here isn't. But grieving, on the other hand, is a process, right? So grieving naturally is what happens over time. And so those waves of grief may come less frequently, or they might be less intense, or even they just become more familiar so that it may feel just as bad the 101st time you're dissolved in tears. But at least you think to yourself, ah, well, I know what this is, right? So what I think is hard to grasp is grief is just that natural reaction whenever you become aware of the loss. And that's going to happen forever because they are gone. But grieving means that our ability to live with that grief will change over time, that we will learn what we can do to comfort ourselves. So 
right now, for example, in the in the stores at Trader Joe's, we start to see the peppermint JoJo's. Yeah. And this for me, gosh, the first time I see those, my dad and I used to eat scads of these cookies at Christmas. And, you know, when I see them for the first time, it doesn't matter how many years it's been. I, you know, I sense him there and I, and I imagine us eating them together. And I, in that moment, I have real grief. It doesn't mean there was anything wrong with my grieving up to that point. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I haven't also established, you know, restored a meaningful life for myself. It's just in that moment, that's what's happening. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's the holiday season, and with it comes time spent with friends and family, but also a mourning of those who can't be a part of that anymore. We're talking with Mary Frances O'Connor, who's the author of The Grieving Brain and associate professor at the University of Arizona. Uh, Professor, I'm also thinking about other things that people can grieve over, Um, Mm. you know, the end of a relationship, losing a job. Do those losses have a grieving process of their own? I think of it this way. You know, as human beings, as all social mammals, we, we need our loved ones as much as we need food and water they are a vital part of our existence. And so, you know, evolutionarily, I think it makes sense that the brain evolved this way to encode those relationships and then a way to understand and learn to adjust if those bonds are broken. So when we have other types of broken bonds, other than bereavement, like you mentioned divorce, or even things like the empty nest, right? Yeah. Or or even being estranged from people in your family. I think the brain sees, ah, this, this bond has been broken. I'm, I'm having this grieving experience. But early on today, I said, you know, you lose a part of yourself when someone dies. So, you know, I use the word daughter to describe myself, but the word daughter, it actually implies two people in the world, doesn't it? Right. And, and all of these words are like that. The word spouse implies two people. Even the word best friend implies two people. And so when you lose a loved one, you also lose a part of yourself. How is it that I am a parent if, if my child has died? What does it mean to be a widow that's different from being a married person? And so the reason I think that's important is the brain recognizes that that is grief But when we have other kinds of losses, even symbolic losses, or say say you lose your job, right? Even if I retire, being a professor is a big part of who I am, right? It's a big part of how I function in the world. I would lose a part of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think the brain can recognize, ah, this too is a loss of a part of yourself, of how you function in the world, and can see that that grief is similar to this sort of evolutionarily necessary part of grieving. Right. So is grief something that we have to deal with forever? You know, grief is just part of the human condition. I think that the reality is as soon as you have love, you are set up to have grief. And that may sound really, I don't know, nihilistic or something, but I think there's this flip side to it, which is, for example, now at the holidays, let's say I get to spend time with my partner's parents 
I just cherish that time so much. Mm -hmm. I gave a towel to my mother-in-law a few months ago that said, best bonus mom, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's the, yeah, that's the sense of like, ah, this time is really precious. And I deeply know that because of having gone through grief. And so not everyone has that experience and not everyone has that, especially in acute grief. But I think when we try to remember, it isn't just that I'm having grief. It's that grief is part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. It can help us to sort of connect with people who are around us, people who are living, who've also been through this because we really can't understand them. Right. Well, uh, I'm also thinking about some folks, uh, Professor, who especially live in, in communities where disparities in healthcare or access to care are, are more prevalent, they experience grief more often. So does that have an impact on their bodies too? We forget that bereavement is a health disparity, right? Because if we have different rates of mortality in different communities, that also means we have different rates of bereavement. And so we've seen this, for example, during the COVID pandemic, that Black children were two and a half times more likely to lose a caregiver, or Hispanic children were almost twice as likely to lose a caregiver. Uh, and, and so what that means is, as we're thinking about how to respond to grief as a public health issue, you really have to be thinking about where is it most important to deploy some of our resources. If we're going to you know, increase grief education in our schools, for example, it might make sense to target places where children are really losing their parents. They're losing their friends earlier in life mm -hmm. than, than many of us are, and, and they have to deal with that. Well, as we continue through the holidays, what can people do to ease some of the impacts of grief? I think there's a way in which we can't prepare for things. Each moment strikes us often very differently than we're expecting. But I think one of the most valuable things is to kind of have a big toolkit of ways to respond to the fact that you are grieving, that you have grief. And that means for me that sometimes it's okay to just, you know, be like, this evening, we're just going to put on a ridiculous Christmas movie. We're going to pretend this hasn't happened. We're just going to, you know, binge watch and binge eat or whatever. <laughs> right. And that kind of avoidance, while we think of avoidance as being really negative, it gives our body a break sometimes. And that can be good. Now, if we do that all the time, grief is going to keep rising up in us. So it's also important to have times where we you know, just name the fact that this person is gone. Mm -hmm. So I will say to my sister, grief. yeah, exactly. I'll say, you know, those JoJo's come into the, into the store and, and I call my sister and I tell her all the silly stories about remembering, trying to get to the airport to pick dad up and, you mm -hmm. know, or I'll ask her to make the trifle that my mom used to make the, the English trifle that I actually don't like very much, but I really <laughs> want to have it again. Yeah. And so those ways of just naming that it is true and hopefully trying to share that with someone else can make us feel connected and, and comforted in a moment where we, we just are going to feel grief. Mary Frances O'Connor is the author of The Grieving Brain and an associate professor of psychology at the University of Arizona. Thank you so much. Ah, really good to be here. 
Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We've been talking about coping with grief during the holidays. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, except when it's not. Maybe you're mourning a recent loss, or you're grieving a loved one who's been gone for a long time. But this this time of year, it, it can actually bring up a lot of complicated feelings. While the grieving process is different for everyone, there are a lot of things that people can do to help cope with grief like surrounding themselves with other loved ones or picking up a hobby or joining a support group. So our next guests are here to tell us about the healing work that they do here in Chicago. We are joined in the studio by Christy Puzio and Christina Gonzalez. They're Grief Circle Facilitators with El Paseo Wellness Coalition. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So I'll start with you, Christy. Uh, What comes up for you this time of year? Like, Who are you remembering? Well, my loss is recent, and I also feel like when it's a recent loss, it just feels so much stronger and raw, but I'm grieving my father. I'm sorry. And um, pregnancy loss. Oh. Yeah. And it happened within the same week. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So that's kind of like where I'm at um, with my grief. That is tough. It is. (laughs) You, Christina? Um, During, I guess, like entering December, I'm remembering my, um, I had losses when I was young um, with my parents. So I remember my parents and a couple of other family members that have passed. Are you doing anything to honor them? Yes. This season? Absolutely. Um, Lots of things that I've that we've um, incorporated in what we do with community is stuff that I also do at home. Yeah, and we'll dig more into into the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, Christy, one of the ways that we can remember those that we've lost is um, is talking about them, right? Tell us more about the grief circle. What is it for those who aren't aware? Yeah, so the grief circle at El Paseo Community Garden, our intention is to make safe spaces for a community to just come together and talk about their feelings, talk about their losses, um, their grief, and to also give them tools that can help them to navigate, you know, whatever it is that they're going through. And it could be all kinds of grief, right? We're not just thinking about a loss of a person, but it can be a loss of your health or, um, you know, losing a job or just even losing something that you thought you would have, right? Like the thought of, I could have still had this child. Why isn't this child still here? Things like that. So um, really the grief circle is also another way to connect with nature. So that's why we like to have it at the garden so that people can also be in those spaces, but like see the flowers, see the trees and connect with nature as well. Yeah. Well, Christina, pick up where Christy left off. Tell us more about what doing this grief circle looks like in the community garden? It's a shared space. Um, We always work within circles, um, and it's very much honoring um, ourselves, but also in the connections that we're having with the uh, environment that we're in. So it's outside. So there's, like, connections within our ancestors and then, like, nature, nature. there's a garden. There's so many things at El Paseo Garden that we can walk to and tend to. Um, it's a very loving um, way to honor how we are feeling, but also to open it up deeper for people who are ready to 
to head that way yeah um within a safe space for for them to like process it and and i think what you just said might be key right people who are ready yes there's a certain point in the grief journey where you can do something like this is that right yeah and and like we said someone that is ready because we've had times where people sign up and you know then they can't make it anymore or they tell me you know what this is not the right time for me I'm sorry I thought I would be ready but I'm not so um, you know we're we're just there to really help navigate you know this process even if people are not ready and just letting them know hey we're here when you are ready right there's things that you can still do down the line Let's bring another voice to this conversation. We've got Megan Andriano on the phone with us. She's a co-program director at Willow House. That's a nonprofit organization that provides grief support and education to, to families around the city. Hi, Megan. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, you know, before we talk about Willow House, Megan, I, I want to ask you the mm-hmm. same question I asked Christy and, and Christina. Are you remembering anyone in your life this time of year? Um, I am. Thank you. Um, I did get into this work because of my connection with loss. Um, I'm remembering my dad this holiday season. Um, I lost him when I was 13 and my my brother was seven. Mm. Um, So while it's been many, many years, um, this time of year is is definitely a a time of, of ritual and remembrance. Yeah. Tell us more about what you do then at Willow House and what your grief circles are like. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, Willow House, we're a nonprofit. Um, we're serving grieving families um, with children as young as three and all the way up to young adulthood of 28. We have in-person support groups as well as Zoom uh, support groups. And we're offering them throughout the month. We also have an expressive arts group in particular, um, and also a survivors of suicide loss group. We're using creative intervention. We're using, you know, the peer support model um, as a way to normalize grief, validate feelings, um, give a space for sharing memories, learning coping skills. And I think you know, part of the the magic and one of the biggest intervention is truly being with others um, that are also grieving um, a similar loss. Mm -hmm. You said something interesting there. You said normalize grief. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Yes. Um, You know, words like like death and dying, um, we want to normalize those words. We want to let people know that what they're experiencing um, is expected, not let them feel isolated in a process that can already feel very isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to educate and empower people to, to know what maybe they, they can expect and know just the whole whirlwind of emotions um, that is normal. You mentioned art. Talk more about why that's such a big part of the work that you do with families. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of wonderful things that art can bring um, to the grieving process. One is when we don't have words for what we're feeling, 
um, we're, we're sort of building, we're building that vocabulary. We're learning what these feelings are in our minds and our hearts, in our bodies. Um, art can be such a great way to connect with those feelings. It can be a great way to connect with our family. Mm-hmm. Um, get those feelings, emotions out of our body and onto the page or into clay. It can be a great way to take a step back and gain perspective. Um, and also just the process, getting our hands dirty, um, having control, working big and expansively or working small and intimately. Um, there's just so many things that the art process can really offer an individual, a group, um, and, and bonding and connecting a community. Christy, why did you get uh, involved in this kind of work in the first place? Well, I got involved in this kind of work because I felt there was a need. And uh, even as a young child, I always felt like I would attend many funerals and I was always the one that people would share their feelings with and say, you know, can you walk with me to the casket? I'm scared or I need something. And I would, you know, get whatever they needed. And I just felt so comfortable around that, around death and and just loss. Where did that come from as a kid? I don't know. And and it just follows me. I could go to any funeral and someone will come up to me and say, oh, you know what? I, I don't think I could go up there. Can you help me? Or they, they'll start sharing with me. And I don't know, maybe it's just something that I am comfortable, I guess, with my compassion or I'm comfortable with allowing people to just be where they're at. And, mm-hmm. and I guess I can help them. But but that's why I also wanted to do this because I felt like the community needs to gather and also with the pandemic and and I personally couldn't attend you know my father's funeral because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. so I didn't have that so I feel like a lot of people also didn't have that and you know just so many reasons but that was like I have to do this it has to happen now yeah Mm -hmm. I feel you on that it's very tough I've uh, suffered a loss last week a family close family friend of ours and her funeral's tomorrow, and I've got to attend somehow via Zoom, right? And yeah, that 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 makes it even more difficult. It does. It doesn't change that. Even if it's on Zoom, even if it's no, you know, distant, you still feel a lot. Yeah. How about you, Christina? Because this is pretty heavy volunteer work. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I have two, I guess, two um things to say about that. Um. So I'm a counselor, and I work with teens um, in Chicago Public Schools and Peace and Education High School. Um, And it's been pretty heavy. It's been heavy for a lot of my students coming in saying, um, you know, sharing their grief. Yeah. And sharing with grief within their communities, within their families, within their personal just kind of things that they've, you know, encountered. Um, and also um, my personal experience with it, um, I think I, when I lost my parents, it was a lot of hiding. Like I felt like I was supposed to be wearing black all day and hide and not be visible to people. Um, and so it was also connecting with Christina, Christy, <laughs> and other healers within the community who were um, navigating through grief and were opening it up in a community way. Yeah. Um, and then looking at the practices that we have within our own lineages. Um, my family is from Oaxaca, so death there is 
celebrated. And so it's very, it's not so hidden. Um, You're celebrating the life. Exactly. Yeah. So um, just navigating through all of that um, is kind of like, okay, this is, this is where I'm at and what can I do to participate in it? But also how can I be, um, how can I be part of this that's accessible to the community and accessible to my teens? This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The holidays can be a challenging time if you are grieving a loved one. So we are talking about how to find support. We're talking with Christina Gonzalez and Christy Puzio from El Paseo Community Garden and Megan Andriano from Willow House. Megan, what tools do you find useful when it comes to facilitating these groups? Um, I think with the tools, it really, it comes down to, um, meeting every individual and then the group as a whole where they're at. Like Christy and Christina talked about earlier about really honoring when, where people are in their grief journey and where they're ready to engage. Um, being able just to come to our group and listen might be a, a huge, um, a huge piece of support for them. Again, the artwork can be another great place for people to engage if they don't want to talk, if they want to be a little bit more um, around people, but maybe not share their grief journey. They can do that through art. Yeah. And I think having a lot of some different materials available for that, um, writing materials, um, maybe more three-dimensional, sculptural, uh, having a, a few different options um, to make things more comforting and accessible and reminding people that it's not, um, there's no pressure on what the art product may look like and there's no right way to grieve or right response for the conversation about grief. Yeah. Why do you think grief circles work, Christina? Um, with our grief circles, I feel like it's um, the way that we move within it. There's a lot of stuff with energy that happens there that I can't really explain. Um, I don't know how to put it into words, but um, like we do a lot of things with sound. We do sound bath, sound and yoga, restorative yoga. Okay. And, um, and just having a space for people to write, to listen and engage in different levels. For those who may not know, Christina, why don't you tell us what a sound bath is? Or Christy, <laughs> you're looking to Christy. Yeah. For, for... yeah, so a sound bath is, you can say sound therapy. It's another way to engage with sound and to allow your senses to go where they want to go, allow your body to rest. And sound also has an effect on our bodies. And it can also allow us to like move our emotions because sometimes like we said earlier, there's different ways that people engage with their emotions. So sound could be another way that can open up certain emotions within that person. And it's very profound. I, I You know, a lot of the people that have experienced sound bath with us mm -hmm. have mentioned, like, I felt this energy or I felt my loved one there. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of like. So what's what's there? What what, what are you physically you know, yeah, doing? Yeah, so the sound bath um, usually composes of um Sound bowls, crystal bowls, um, the gong, um, the flute. So some instruments are ancient and others are modern. Okay. And so the person rests or lays down on the ground 
and the facilitator is just playing the different instruments and they're just there to to receive the sound and it usually can last from 20 to 45 minutes mm. well you know, megan earlier in our conversation with mary Frances o'connor we talked about how grieving is a process right that it never really ends mm-hmm. do you agree I do agree. Um, It definitely changes our, you know, we're still growing and changing. um, And we become uh, really familiar, I think, with each loss um, over time. But yeah, it, it never really goes away. It doesn't kind of end in a certain stage. I would agree. So before we go. I wonder if you all have maybe some resources that you would recommend to the folks who are listening to us right now, maybe people who need some support, especially right now during the holidays. So I'll start with you, Megan. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, you know, so again, we, we talked about, you know, willowhouse.org. Um, not only are we serving grieving families, you know, we're also, we have a presence in the schools in Lake and Cook County. We want to equip other professionals, too, to mm-hmm. help the students in, in their schools and in their community. We want to spread this education and empowerment. Um, we're also there for families uh, as a resource to help provide referrals and resources in your area. So please keep us in mind. We know it's um, it can be daunting to try to find resources. Um, yeah. So we're we're here to help you. Christy, what would you recommend? Yeah, so definitely follow uh, El Paseo Community Garden if you're interested in participating in our grief circles. We also offer other kinds of circles that are also based on healing and wellness. And you can follow El Paseo Community Garden on Instagram or Facebook. Another page that you can follow to get information on all of our circles is um, the Community Healing Mercado. So that's another page on Instagram where we share information on our circles. And our cohort, um, our next cohort will be opening up in January. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, if you follow those pages, then you can see how you can apply. And all of our circles are accessible either by donation or sliding scale. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would definitely um, connect with us. And also another resource that I can think of because I'm from Pilsen is a Pilsen Wellness Center. I feel that um, that's another place that can help people with um, therapy. You know, I feel therapy is also another way to, to deal with your with Absolutely. your grief. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that list. Mm-hmm. Christy Puzio and Christina Gonzalez are grief circle leaders at El Paseo Community Garden. And Megan Andriano is a co-program director at Willow House. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us.